Welcome to the Black Doctor Collective Podcast. We as Black doctors are in a unique position. We can change our communities, healthcare, and the world. Of course, we start by changing the way we see and value ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Shanika Horn, pediatrician and physician coach, travel extraordinaire. I am so happy to have you here and listening. So let's get into it. Okay, y'all, today we have the doctor of quitting, okay? We got the quit MD on this call today. Dr. Taniqua Miller is a board-certified OBGYN and a national certified menopause practitioner. She prides herself on her commitment to supporting women and girls through their reproductive transitions and beyond. Through her educational platform, Taniqua MD, she empowers women of color to embrace a boundless midlife. And we're going to get into what that means, okay? After four years in academic medicine, Dr. Miller experienced professional burnout, like us all, and made the decision (laughs) to pause her clinical practice. During her time away, she read a devotional giving her a new call to action, be boundless. As a first-generation American, college graduate and physician, she now tells her story of burnout and her secret weapon to to living a boundless life. Quitting. She's like Beyonce, y'all. Okay. (laughs) So Dr. Miller received her BA in psychology from Yale University and completed her medical degree from Harvard Medical School. But don't let that Ivy League stat fool you. Okay. (laughs) Dr. Miller's relatability and authenticity brings her audience and clients closer to the truest versions of themselves. She is a champion of equity in women's healthcare and a committed educator for medical students and trainees of color. She has been recognized for her innovation in education and faculty development by the Society of Academic Specialists in General Obstetrics and Gynecology and the Emory School of Medicine. She is a transformative speaker and professional coach for her signature program, Burnout to Boundless, group coaching program. Her mission is simple, helping burnt out first-generation professional women of color. Are you talking to me, Dr. Janine? <laughs> quit so that they can live a life of their dreams. Yes, I'm here for all of this. Welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Dr. Chinika. I appreciate it. Yes. And our names kind of rhyme like Taniqua and Chinika. Taniqua. Chinika. Taniqua. So when y'all are talking about what's your doctor's name, you better let them know. Listen, Black girls are out here, okay? Out here. <laughs> all of it. I am so excited to have you. Thank I want to hear, I mean, I've heard it before, but other people have not been so blessed. So I would like you to share your journey to medicine, through medicine. Tell us how you got to where you are today. Awesome. Thank you for that. So as I've gone through this journey of burnout, I had to get really clear on how I got into medicine in the first place. And so I took it back, y'all. Like I went <laughs> all the way back to when I was the little girl, scrappy little girl from the Bronx and really wanted to know like, what was she interested in? What did she marvel at? And it literally was the female body. 
And mm. I know you can imagine eight-year-old Taniqua keeping court with the teenage girls talking about periods and <laughs> relationships and sex even. And I wasn't having any, and I didn't have my period at the time. <laughs> but it was something that like fascinated me. You know, old school, did you have like Encyclopedia Britannica? Yes. Right? Like collection. I used to pull them off the shelf as a kid. <laughs> and I used to just marvel at physiology and really was interested in just like the female body. And I thought the female body was so powerful. And I remember a conversation with teenage girls, a group of public housing, and we were all hanging out in front of the building. And I would hear teenage girls say things like, oh, he doesn't want to mess with me because I'm a project girl and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, lies, right? Like mm -hmm. I was like, I want to show up and be Dr. Taniqua and have other girls who look like me know that they have like this physician that knows where they're coming from, know their perspective and can care for them and empower them. And so I realized that like the empowerment of women and girls can take on a lot of different forms, but for me, it was medicine. And so when I was in college, I was pre-med, I did all the things, hated it, right? <laughs> I hated physics, it was bringing down my GPA. I was like, deuces to this. Mm -hmm. I had a friend who was later my TA who was like, none of this stuff is medicine. If you take a physiology course and you love it, that's medicine. Mm. And of course, here we go again. Little T at the cafeteria table be like, yo, do you know what these lungs do? With my <laughs> at the table, you know, and realized that no, medicine is actually where I want it to be. I took a couple years off and three weeks of working. I was very confident that it was not for me. I was doing marketing research and I was like, yeah, I need to go back to school. And so in 2024, or in 20, 2004, I actually matriculated at Harvard and I graduated and the rest is history from there. Yes. First of all, for all the little black girls out there in the world that grow that are growing up in New York City, first of all, shout out to New York City because I'm a Brooklyn girl and you're a Bronx girl. So, you know, <laughs> those roots never die. Yes. <laughs> so all the little black girls that are out here in these urban environments you see Dr. Taniqua out here going from the Bronx to Harvard and Yale y'all don't put some respect on that okay that is a journey understand I was like baby I can take you from the block to the boardroom let's go <laughs> can we say that again hello talk to me caller we are doing things okay don't let anybody tell you what you can't do right so I love that and I also love that you had this, you know, I call it an indirect path to medicine because like me, you didn't decide right away this was for you. Right. <laughs> for me, mine was chemistry. I was like, I got to take all these chemistry classes just to get into med school. This is not it. I was like, this thing <laughs> process is working. Right. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. So now you got into medicine and what did you, I guess, what was your experience? Like, what did you find there? Yeah. So I will say, so funny story. So I loved medical school. Harvard is a very special place. I was able to really learn in the way that was really conducive to my brain. And so that was one of the first times that I actually started looking inward to see what could benefit me in the way that I was learning, the way that I was engaging with patients, my community. And that was like 100% supported in my environment. And I realized that is not the case everywhere. And so I feel really blessed to have had that experience. What's interesting though, is during my clerkships, during my OBGYN rotation, I had a little bit of a crisis because I was like, these people mean y'all. <laughs> OBGYN has this reputation of being malignant. I don't know if that's still the way that it is now, but like just really very high paced, like life and death decisions. And I really think that the field at the time was just so burnt out. And I remember 
striving, working hard. I was that student that just like loved everything. And I remember I would whip out the gel packets out of my pocket and, you know, all kinds of things. And I remember at the end of the rotation, I was like, I don't want to do that. And it was a little bit of a crisis of sorts because it was like, I knew that I wanted to care for women. And it's like, but I don't want to care for women like that. Mm. And so my family's from Trinidad and my medical school gave us a lot of flexibility in completing our clerkships. So I literally took a month off. I'm, wow. I like taking months off apparently, but I took a month off and it was carnival. And I flew yes. to Trinidad and I let the breeze hit me and drank coconut wow. on like the veranda. And I literally said, from all of the rotations that I had up to that point, internal medicine, pediatrics, OBGYN, what was the rotation that moved me the most? Who were mm-hmm. the patients that really, that I still think about, that I wonder, how is their life? How did they get over this, that, or the other? And it was gynecology and obstetrics. And I made a, and I made a pledge to myself that day that I would do it differently. That when I show up into a place, I won't practice like that. I will connect with my patients in a way that's authentic to me. Mm-hmm. And Google me, 4.9 right. out of the five stars, boo. I kept true to that. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Ask about me. Remember that song? I'm a hustler. I'm a, I'm a hustler. <laughs> ask about me. That's what Dr. Taniqua is saying. Okay. Side note, what year were you in Trinidad? Because I might have been there. Listen, it was 2007, February 2007. My, my first carnival was 2009. So I just, ah. but <laughs> so good. So this is, I think, an experience that people are going to relate to. So you said you got there and you realized you didn't want to practice like that. Can you tell me a little bit about what that practice was that you saw that you didn't like and what you thought that you would rather provide? The language used to talk about patients, talk to patients, the way that the faculty treated each other, treated their trainees. There was this tone of just just nastiness, like and it trickled down. So now you had mm-hmm. trainees then mistreating medical students, as well as nursing staff, front desk staff. And it wasn't an environment that I felt that I, that, that I felt good in, like literally in my body, my intuition was like mayday, mayday, this is not it for us. And to intuition comes right. up again in my story, because in medicine, you're taught to kind of suppress intuition in the name of being team player, in the name of being accomplished and successful. And I realized I listened to my intuition when I was a medical student. And part of that was out of luxury, right? Like I wasn't really responsible for anybody. But then when I became an attending, Mm -hmm. I started taking on other people's armor and I started waving other people's flags. And I lost that internal compass Mm -hmm. on where I wanted to go in my own life. And so for me, seeing that and knowing that that wasn't inherent to my spirit, the way that people would talk about pe- like patients and talk, I was just like, I don't have to be that way. And I realized if you're in one place, it's so important to see how medicine is practiced in different places because it's not like that everywhere. I ended up visiting University of Virginia at the time because my now husband was there, but we were just, I just liked a boy at the time, right? And I went and visited the program and I was like, they're actually nice. They actually get along. They actually take care of patients. They're high-fiving nurses. And 
it was just such a different environment. And I felt like I can show up authentically with my funny go lucky self taking care of patients. I don't have to like take on this, this kind of persona that I saw as a medical student. That is such a good insight. I think I often reflect sometimes about how I've gotten to where I've gotten in order to bloom in this world, right? And to to decide what you're going to make out of medicine, you kind of had to have this pivotal moment or a part where you've kind of gone down and then you're like, wait, hold on. How did I get here? So when I review about getting up to that point in my career, I I often think about where did I lose my self-trust? Where did I lose my intuition you know, and, and because 20 year old me in college and even applying for medicine, you couldn't tell me anything. I was going to do what I was going to do. I was getting in. I didn't care what anybody had to say about anything. I was confident. And then somewhere along that journey, the training kind of gets down. Sometimes it gets stomped out. So I just love that you by like, I had this intuition that I stopped listening to and, and then how you got out of it is gaining perspective. So everybody listening, please know that your environment does not apply everywhere can get perspective by looking outward to some other places. And I will tell you, one of the things that I had to do first in my own healing about this was self-forgiveness. Because like you Mm -hmm. said, 20 year old self, you couldn't tell me nothing, right? Right. But somewhere (laughs) along the way, I started conforming and I started like not really listening to intuition. And we know when we not listening to ourselves Mm -hmm. and there's a little bit of shame that goes along with it. Yeah. And I had to really do the hard work of giving myself that grace and build and, and, and really that self-forgiveness, recognizing that I was in an environment that was intentionally created to stamp out my intuition. Right. Because if it was up to me, my boundaries would be firm, firm, firm. My intuition would be waving like stop signs, like we're not doing this, right? Yeah. But the environment is such that even from very young, like when we are trying to get into medical school, mm-hmm. we're trying to curry favor. When we're in medical school and we're on clerkships, of grades are all subjective. So you're trying to kind of like appeal and appease Mm -hmm. to people in environments where they may not be treating you well, but you kind of just have to swallow it because you need their favor so that you can move on to the next level, which is residency. If you even get into a residency, right? And then when you're in residency, you also have to perform. You don't want to be pegged as like not a team player or anything like that, because then you got to find a job and pay for these loans. Right. So, you know, I had to do a lot of self-forgiveness, recognizing that this was years and years of conditioning Mm -hmm. that really out of survival in this system was why I wasn't listening to my inner voice. Yeah. And and that mindset of survival. You know, you do what you have to do to, to get where you want to go. And, and a lot of residents are battling with that right now. I see that commonly come up as a theme of, do I quit or do I just try to make it to a certain point? You know, and if obviously if things are that bad for you, please reach out to anyone. More people are willing to help you than you think. But, you know, once you get out or once you get through, yeah, doing the work of self-forgiveness is clutch. So how did you do that work? So I'll fast forward to my 14 years after being in residency (laughs) and practicing as an attending. I got to a place that, you know, I looked up and I had been at my practice for 10 years. And when you're in academics, the next logical step is to get promoted. 
Right. You don't really know why you want to get promoted <laughs> in the space. And you're like, I need to get promoted. Mm-hmm. And if anybody has ever looked at a promotion process, it is so rigged, in my opinion, with standards that I think are very discriminatory against women, against people of color. And I was thinking in my head, I can do this. I'm Taniqua. I can do this. Right. And so I started having meetings. I started looking at all of the boxes that I needed to check. And it was like, you had to join X amount of committees. You have to, you know, teach X amount of courses. You had to have X amount of publications and all of these things sound reasonable in theory, except now you're spending every Thursday afternoon when you're 0.8 and you're supposed to be off attending committee meetings that really don't move you in any way, but you're trying to check this box or you're trying to write up a paper that you're trying to now send out. And if it gets rejected, you have to like go back to the drawing board with very limited resources and help Mm -hmm. to get you over that hump. I also started getting more involved in my DEI work and I make the joke, I was DEI before there was a DEI. (laughs) And so, you know, when you're doing that work and you've been doing it for so long, I've always been involved in this space since I was an undergrad after George Floyd, you saw just how it it was almost like a bad thing for DEI. And let me explain, this is controversial, but we were kind of doing our work in the background, you know, like having our little recruitment dinners and everything like this. Now it became like corporate. Yeah. It became like this, like industrialized Mm -hmm. of DEI. Mm -hmm. And what I started noticing that a lot of the things that we were doing seemed very performative. And for someone who loves her people, mm-hmm. it was really trigger me. And so I would sit in meetings and I would be like, we're not doing that. Mm-mm. Unless you're willing to put this resource, that resource, this administrative support, blah, 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 blah. We're not gonna just check this box. And I realized in sitting in that space that I was making people feel uncomfortable because I was speaking up for my people as the DEI lead. Mm. So here I am over here doing this committee work that really wasn't really what I wanted to be spending my time doing. Here I was over here, kind of like always fighting the battle for DEI work and making sure that communities of color who are supposed to benefit from the work weren't necessarily being almost demeaned in the case or or used, frankly, just so that we can say we're checking the boxes. Then having all of this anxiety between these two places and not showing up as the mom, the wife, all of the things that I wanted to be in my home life it really reached a fever pitch where I literally was in my car one day sobbing and having terrible chest pain. That's how anxiety manifests itself for me. Mm. And I was crying and I literally was like, I had to go see a, a, in a four hour period, 14 patients. And I literally was like, this is what I signed up for. 14 patients in four hours. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. So, and so I literally, and, and I'm a gynecologist, so we do a lot of things in our visit. Okay. Yeah. But literally, like, I remember being like, is this what I signed up for? Is this what I'm sacrificing? Like, I didn't even have the bandwidth to check the emails from school. My kids missed it. I always say my, my, my last two children, they have no friends. I didn't go to any of the birthday parties. I didn't have the bandwidth to even figure that out. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, this can't be it. Like you, you couldn't have gotten to this place this is not what we work so hard for. Right. And I was like, oh, little Tanika, little Tanika will look at you right now and recognize you. And the answer was no. Mm-hmm. I was doing all of the things. I was waving other people's flags. I was trying to find value and success in, in, in things that I didn't necessarily inherently value, like promotion and 
accolades and recognition, but we're so groomed in the system to want those things that I didn't know what it was that I wanted. Mm. And so I'm so grateful for my colleague who saw me really struggling that particular day, but it had been going on for a while. And she called me and she was like, your anxiety is at an all-time high because I was in that clinic with chest pain the entire time. And she said, I think you need to take a break. And me being first-generation bras girl, I was like, we don't take breaks. Right. What am I going to do my break? And literally, it was like, no, no, no. If you don't take this break, you won't, you won't be in medicine anymore. That's literally the answer that my, my intuition gave me. And so I put in my FMLA papers and four weeks, I was like, I'm just going to be with myself, which was very uncomfortable, which was very, very uncomfortable. And I tried to be busy because I, Mm -hmm. there, I spent so much time being busy that being still was very uncomfortable. And I remember picking up all these coffee chats and trying to, I was like, I'm going to read four books over this four weeks and I'm going to fix my life. I'm going to not be burnt out anymore. And I remember my, one of the women that I worked with as a coach, she was like, that's all fine and dandy. And I'll tell you all the books to read, but for a minute, you need to just sit still and you need to listen to yourself. And when it was, when I made the decision finally to listen, that is when like the world opened up for me in a way that I was just like, I can't unsee this. My intuition came to the forefront there were like little whispers. It was wild, like little whispers and voices kind of like ordering the steps of my leave. And when I came back, I started quitting. Wow. I love it. And we approach how to quit folks. This is why it gets so. I mean, it's been good this whole time, but the one thing out of your, your story that you shared with us that I would like to highlight is that we don't know how to sit still. That is something I resonate with tremendously because when I left fellowship, I was like, I'm taking a two month break. Cause I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't want to do any of the things that I see. I don't know what my options are. I cannot sign a contract for a year or two with someplace. And I know I'm going to drown. I just can't, I could not make myself do it, but Lord, did I sit still? (laughs) I was like, this is the time frame that I created the black doctor. And then I did all these other things because I did not know how to be and how to have value without providing a service. And that was one of the pivotal things I learned, you know, from taking a break was, oh, my entire identity is tied up into what I think I can do for someone else. Right. Oh, and it's it's the grooming. It's how... Mm -hmm. Like it's the environment that we're in. If you're not being productive, whether that is scholarship or service or anything like that, it doesn't count. Right. And so you have to be in service to yourself first. That's one of the things I learned in having that time off and sitting quiet. Mm -hmm. And what was so beautiful about that time is that I returned to myself, my children noticed, my husband noticed, and it was like, I can't go back. Like there's no way that I can go back to this life that I found incredibly miserable because it really just wasn't in alignment with where I was in my life. And that's okay. That's one of the things that I tell younger people. It's okay if you change. Yes. It's unbelievable. So I'm like the only one of my like friends from college that went to medical school, like, like my close core group of friends that went to Ah, medical school, (laughs) you know, and they'd be jumping jobs every like three, four years. 
So they go to one job, then they like build up a skill set, they build their connections, then they get headhunted, they go to another job and they keep rising, 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 rising. And it's this expectation that you will grow, you will change, and you will then keep rising. So it's this odd, uncanny, like philosophy in medicine that you take your first job coming out of the gate and that's it. Mm -hmm. And I just think that we need to show the generations coming through that that's not necessarily the legacy that you necessarily need to have, that you can grow, you can change and you can pivot. Yeah. You do not have to stay the same person your entire life. Nope. That and medicine is definitely antiquated in that culture. We are still operating like jobs are the things you get immediately out of school and you keep until you retire and they give you a good pension. That does not exist, folks. It's time to move on from these places. That is no longer what job security is. Not the case. (laughs) At all. Okay. So I want to hear all about how you discovered how to live this boundless midlife, your program. I want to hear all of this stuff. This sounds so good. Absolutely. So during the four weeks, this is going to sound, so two things happened. So I felt like my spiritual health needed a little bit of attention. Like I felt like I was like missing kind of like my guiding light. And my therapist at the time recommended this like little devotional. And I remember one particular day, like the first week of being on leave, I was like crying all the time. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm here. Like, this is not what we do. Mm-hmm. My grandmother, you know, she, if she tells a story, she came here on a Thursday and was working on Monday. Yeah. I'm the big doctor, you know? And, and then all of a sudden here I am sitting on my couch, burnt out, burnt out. Right. What is that? Right. And the devotional, I turned the page to that particular day and it said, be boundless. Mm. And for some reason, the word boundless really struck a chord with me. And so I went on reading and it said, be life's muse. And I was just kind of like, huh, like the word muse really struck out, like struck me. And so I'm a nerd. So I looked up the word boundless (laughs) and it really is defined as like this vast, immense life, this like without bounds life. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's what I want. I want to do things that bring me joy in a way that's within my strengths, that is really coming from a place of true, genuine interest. And as I was thinking of, well, how do I get there? I'm in this place of burnout. How do I get to this place of boundless? And literally the, my whole framework came to me. I realized that I needed to go back a little bit and understand where in my conditioning did I have a lot of pressure on me as a first generation woman? You know, you've made it, you succeeded. That's Mm -hmm. a lot of weight to carry. I really had to process and work through that. I really had to like get back to basics and say, what did little Tanika want? She wanted to like cold court with the girls and talk about periods and empowerment and bodies. She wasn't trying to sit on committees and get promoted. Right. So Let's be clear, how can I get back to that original goal? Because this one ain't ain't cutting it. And then I really was like, I need to look at shame. There was so much shame and isolation around it. And I had to sit in that shame before I can then break up by by self-forgiveness and really building self-trust. And I did act, I took active steps to build my self-trust. If you've never done a strengths finders, course, I highly recommend it. I did Clifton Strengths. It got uh, 
introduced to me from a business community that I was in. And I realized, oh my gosh, I have no executive strengths or execution strengths in my top five, which makes sense why I would drive myself crazy trying to format fonts to public papers. Like it was crazy. And so it was like, well, how can I show up in my strength instead of trying to work on things that are weaknesses of mine? And in medicine, you're you're taught to be good at everything, but that's just not the case. Like business got it down. Like you're not. Mm-hmm. And so I literally was like, well, I like to run my mouth. And I made a decision to invest in a speaking coaching program. And through that program, I have been, I've been to Jamaica. I'm going to Arizona in May. I've been to Florida, Kentucky. I've been all over the place speaking, mm-hmm. using my mouth, using my brain and my mouth to be able to like transform lives in the women that I speak to. And that started introducing to me like, wow, like this intuition, this self-trust, your gifts are real. And I started finding that validation from within and I didn't need that other external stuff anymore. I started putting in boundaries and the way that I had to do that. And I know some people think it's controversial, but I just had to quit. And it's really hard for us to quit because we have so much, so many messages that tell us we have to work twice as hard to get half of what the other person gets. And you don't want to be labeled lazy and weak and things like that. And I, and I, and I resonate with that as an identity as a black woman, Mm -hmm. but what you teach yourself when you start quitting those committees that are not serving you, when you start walking away from leadership positions that harm you, literally, like having you in your car crying like it did me, right? right? You teach your brain and you teach like a new narrative that your world's not going to fall apart. You're still good enough. And, the, and, and things are not going to crumble. In fact, I got powerful. I felt like super, super empowered that I started prioritizing my own interests my own projects, the things that really lit me up and excited me. Mm-hmm. And it didn't mean that I like lost anything in, in the shuffle. Eventually I did make the decision to quit my, my actual role in academic medicine. And I, while I don't necessarily endorse that everybody has to quit, that was the right decision for me because then I was able to answer, like ask myself questions to see whether or not it was a fit anymore. And right. it wasn't. Yeah. And when I took that leap, the net appeared. That is amazing. You know, the more you educate yourself and the more you learn, the more you realize things like like the characteristic of lazy and all of these things that are attributed to Black people are obviously false narratives, but they are direct results of the slave culture that still exists in this country, right? And so you look at Reconstruction right after slavery the entire narrative, the way the media portrayed Black people was to say that we were lazy after we built the whole damn country. (laughs) They don't put on the the thing that we're lazy, that we don't want to work because their thing was, we did not want to work for them for free. Right. And that we, you know, didn't want to stay in these plantation systems. So that was the narrative that was promoted so that, that, you know, we were not liked. But what happened is that we also internalized that. And that is the message that parents are passing down and that TV is still passing down like media and general culture is that there's a laziness to black people and that it's inherent in being black. And so we Mm. hear that and that's, so we fight against it. And of course it's like reverse psychology. If I call you lazy, whether or not you aren't, you're going to fight to prove that you're not lazy. And so here we are killing ourselves once again. (laughs) to prove this right thing. and it and it's just it's 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 unbelievable like as i started stepping down and and saying no and like 
gleefully the first time it's hard right like you're like oh what are people going to think what are people going to think because I mean we have human brains and we're conditioned like our 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 brains want us to survive right and so the way that we've been able to do that is by doing all the things so when you make a conscious decision to not do the things and it takes energy in the system to be able to do this and your world doesn't fall apart you get a little dopamine hit like okay this, this may work and then almost I was just looking for stuff to quit yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I think this proves that you only get clarity through action. People sit around looking for clarity and clarity will never come to you if you are oh. not acting. And so yeah. your story is that perfect example, because if you realize, Hey, this is not what I want. I want to be able to have this type of interaction. If you go out now and you start interacting with people in that way that fulfills you and you get to make those connections that you were desiring all this time, it's so clear that this is the right path because you're constantly getting that feedback from your brain and from, and from other people. So that makes it so much easier to say no, right? Because you're not just saying like, no, but I'm not really sure what else. Cause that makes it harder to say no, is if you have no clue why. But if you are going out and you're taking actions and you're getting that positive reinforcement from doing the thing that makes you feel good and serving other people will always make you feel good, right? If you're in service to other people, that is the path. They always say it's a path to happiness. It's a path Mm -hmm. to enlightenment. It's how you show up and and help other people. And obviously you don't do that at detriment to yourself because that's not what we're talking about here. (laughs) That medicine is right. So We know why we're quitting now. We feel good about it. So what does your program help people to do? So if I come to you and I'm like, I don't really know, what can we do? Yeah. So when you think about burnout and I'll I'll give you the definition of burnout, it's, you know, lack of professional efficacy, mental, physical exhaustion, cynicism, negativism. But the thing is that people don't realize about burnout is that these people are working hard. <laughs> like you ever Very. see like a burnout, it's like matches and they always show like the one that's burnt out. Mm-hmm. It's because it's been burning like itself out. So yeah. what I find is that for the clients that I work with that are feeling burnt out, they have been working really, really hard doing all the things. And sometimes they don't have the direction needed to really focus on what are the the few things that they really want to do. They've just kind of like gone along the way almost aimlessly Mm -hmm. and just taken on different roles and what have you because they feel like they have to. And so what this program does is it teaches you and gives you the self-confidence and the self-trust to quit. Yes. To quit all of the things that are not in alignment of where, where you are. We do the work to figure out what your purpose was. Like, like I said, I had to go back to little T mm-hmm. and figure out what would she want to do? And it was all about the empowerment of women and girls. So I started asking the question, if this thing is not like resonating with that purpose, and I was like very unapologetic about it. It felt good in my spirit. My intuition was like, yes, this is where we need to be. If that committee, that assignment, that whatever had nothing to do with that purpose, I said no. Amen. Or I quit it. 
And so doing that work to really kind of like go deep and sometimes, and, you know, we talk about this in coaching that, you know, you have people say, well, I want to just talk to everybody and treat everybody. Uh, uh, no, you need to know what your purpose is. Yes. You have a purpose. Yes. We could be multi-talented and multifaceted and all that stuff, but what is that professional purpose that you want to have? For me, I know it is the empowerment of women and girls. It is the empowerment of women in midlife. That is like my passion, menopausal midlife health. So anything outside of that, not for me, you know? And, and I had to really sit there with that. Like, in my practice now, in my future self, I've given up obstetrics. Mm. Like I'm a whole OB GYN. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so part of my training, all of the things that I've done, my skills, all, like half of that is gone mm-hmm. because it was no longer my purpose. Yeah. I love delivering babies. I love caring for women, but I could talk to you on the phone. It's just not part of my practice anymore. Right. right? And when I got clear about that, then the role that I was in no longer served me. It yeah. was an OBGYN role. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And I had to take bold, courageous steps to take that leap. And thankfully the net is appearing, but I'm scrappy. I let that, that I was like, Hey, net over here to make sure that it happened. And so in my program, we do that work to get clear on what our purpose is. We do the work to build self-trust. Yes. Start leaning on that inner voice, that intuition, mm-hmm. knowing that we are enough and everything that we have within us is already there, that we don't have to look outside for that external okay, that external validation, yes. but your intuition, your guiding light, your inner knowing will tell you when you're on the right track. And we okay. do that work and that's hard work. You're talking about decades of conditioning, yep. telling you not to listen to yourself. Yep. You know, I talk about, I, I put a post out the other day about my daughter. My daughter made a comment about something very simple about a volleyball camp that she wants to go to. And I listed about six or seven volleyball camps. So she's like, I want that one. And I didn't try to talk her out of it. I didn't, but I asked her why. She was like, because I just feel it. I think that's the right one. I trust them. Okay. Yes. That is what I want to model. I want you to model that because as little girls and Glennon Doyle talks about this in her book, we are taught to not trust ourselves anymore. Yeah. Right. Like we get into this people pleasing space and she actually quotes an age where that happens, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was like, I don't want to raise my child that way because there's going to be a lot of therapy and coaching later on in life for her. Right. (laughs) And so in the program, we do that work to build up that self-trust, to be confident in our boundaries, to reclaim power in our lives, to reclaim our pleasure. Yes. That's a conversation for another day. But like before the podcast, I was working out because I enjoy it. Not because I feel like I need to lose weight or anything because I like feeling strong. I like breaking a sweat, Mm -hmm. reclaiming those pieces of our lives that bring us pleasure, reading reading my favorite sleeping sleeping so good (laughs) you know doing things that like sometimes get kind of pushed aside because we're told that no if you're sleeping or you're sitting you're idle Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. you're not doing the thing that lazy you're lazy yeah and so really focusing on all of those things and realizing that you can change a big part of the program is really focusing on with this new, once you kind of build up all of this confidence, build up all of the self-trust, you start quitting, then what's our next step? What's the new thing, mm-hmm. right? What's this new legacy? What's the new dream? Right. Because previous life wasn't really working for you. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe the new dream is staying where you are, but pivoting in a whole different direction. Maybe the new dream is starting that high side hustle. Maybe the new dream is quitting your role and going on and, and, and jumping and doing something new. And I walk through that journey with you. That's amazing. I am hands down in support of quitting things <laughs> that do not work for you and getting rid of things that do not serve you. We do so much stuff that has nothing to do with our purpose or brings us joy. And a lot of it is from people pleasing or just like you said, you're on some path that someone else has designated for you and you're trying to get promoted in a very specific way or you're you know, trying to earn some kind of recognition. So you're doing these things that don't mean anything to you. <sighs> My goodness. Yes, we, <laughs> I'm, oh yes, please people. Y'all, we gotta stop doing all this extra stuff, especially extra. unpaid extra stuff that we don't even enjoy. The unpaid work. Oh, <laughs> Lord, Lord, Lord. I mean, and, and when you really think about it, the messaging that we get, especially in medicine, and, and I think it's really taking advantage of our altruistic selves. Oh, like yeah. We recruit the most altruistic people into our field. Like every interview, like, first of all, other professional schools, maybe business school does this a little bit, but med school is like the only professional school that you like professional, you know, training that uniformly interviews you to get in. Mm. Think about law school. Think about even business school. Yeah. Some programs want, you know, they say that it'll help your application, but the interview process is what gets you in. Exactly. And the questions are all the same. Why do you want to practice medicine? Okay. And I'm pretty sure no one is saying so that I could sit on these committees. <laughs> Or so I can make a lot of money. So I can sit at my computer all day. Charting, right? They and arguing with insurance companies. <laughs> yeah. They always tell a story about how medicine touched their lives or having a grandparent that was sick or whatever it is. So we recruit and we, and we say, oh, that person will be such a great physician. And so we recruit these altruistic, you know, individuals into medicine. And then when we get, when we get them here, we we make them strive the entire time. We question their, their abilities. We call them weak and lazy. We pride ourselves on abusing our bodies. Like we all brag, like, oh, I only got two hours of sleep last night. I didn't eat today. I didn't pee today. You know, it's just foolishness. And my, my whole philosophy around all of this is quit all that. Yeah. We're going to quit those attitudes. It's a lot more to quitting than just walking out the door. Oh, and... there's so much quitting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to burn all that stuff down. No, we don't need any of that in our life. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. So if you guys are, I mean, I'm sure you can come up with a list of things that you would like to quit right now. <laughs> you need to go and reach out to Dr. Taniqua. Where can the good people find you? Yes, I'm very active on Instagram. You can find me there at Taniqua Miller MD, or you can visit my website, TaniquaMD.com. And you can see my coaching and what I offer as part of the coaching. And I encourage you to reach out and let's chat and let's, you know, start the, the journey of changing your life. Yes. There's so many things that we need to unlearn and no, quitting is not a bad word. Okay. I, I love that you have given me a lot of things to think about. I think one of which is that interview process. Like, whoa, did not realize all the interview questions have to do with connecting my life story and who I am with what I'm becoming. That is such a good yeah. point. 
and think about it. Like, and and then you show up and you want to do that work. And you're yeah. like, no, <laughs> that's not right. what we do. <laughs> yeah. It's a wild world. Hopefully, I think, you know, as we all define for ourselves what we're looking for and what what is purposeful for us, that we will be able to shift that as a culture in medicine. And I think work that coaches like us are doing is instrumental. Like even if it's like one person at a time or one room at a time, one program at a time, having these kinds of conversations are critical to shifting that culture away from the service over self Mm -hmm. thing and being like taking care of myself is a service and it is in service to my people as well. Mm -hmm. So, ah, amazing, amazing work. I'm looking for, I already follow you on Instagram. <laughs> Everybody else, please go and follow her. The, all that information will be in the show notes as usual, the website, the Instagram. So go ahead, just go on and have yourself a good old time and join Dr. Taniqua. Program is Burnout to Boundless and she's teaching y'all how to quit. Okay. That's why we're calling her the quit MD. <laughs> that is what we're doing. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for your Thank time. You. Yes, I love chatting with you always. We always have a good time. All right, guys, until next week. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. And what I want you to do next is write a review. I'm going to make this so easy for you. Just go ahead and give me five stars. But also leave a comment that tells me how we can be off the charts. I want you to link us everywhere you can. Instagram at The Black Doctor, The Black Doctor website to join our newsletter. Just become part of our collective. I want you here. Thanks. Until next time. Bye.